Good morning. The uh, reading this morning is uh, chapter 2 of the book of Jonah. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, In my distress I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the depths of the grave I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me, the deep surrounded me, seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down, and the earth beneath barred me in forever. But you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. But I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Uh, well, good morning. Uh, Jonah 2. Jonah 2, if I am honest, is one of the messiest parts of the Bible for me, and that's not just because of the vomiting. Uh, Jonah 2 is uh, a passage, it's probably for me, I would have to say top three um, passages in the whole Bible that I struggle to get my head around. Struggle to understand what is it that God's seeking to teach us, trying to say to us, how are we meant to read this? And so when Matt and I were doing the sermon series Breakup, in my head, not Jonah 2, not Jonah 2, not Jonah 2, and the Lord has a good sense of humour. Let's pray then as we turn and seek to unpack and dive into this and, and wrestle with the mess that is Jonah 2. Ames, can I get you to pass my phone, actually? My phone's just on the ground. That way I can time myself and we make sure that I don't preach for the next 50 minutes. Thanks. Yeah, quick, quick, put the phone. Let's pray to our great God. Our God and King, we come to you knowing that uh, you are a God that seeks to reveal yourself to us and yet all the ways that you reveal yourself are not always as clear as everywhere else, as other places. And so we seek as we press into this part of Jonah 2 that you might reveal both who we are, who Jonah is, but most importantly, Lord, that you might be revealing who you are And we pray this for the glory of Jesus. Amen. One of the um, reasons why Jonah 2 is so difficult is because Jonah 1, Jonah 3 and Jonah 4, Jonah is kind of the epitome of selfishness. He's kind of the climax of the worst characteristics that we see develop within God's covenant people. And so in many ways, Jonah's kind of a how not to do the Christian God-following life. And so when we get to Jonah 2, it's difficult because 
are we meant to see someone different or are we meant to see a true uh, that is a truly repentant person or do, or do we see something a little more like a kind of counterfeit repentance kind of someone that says a bunch of the right words uses a bunch of the right language but maybe whose heart isn't really there um you know we've all seen this right on tv when a politician uh fails or a sports star has a discretion and what do they say they read from a transcript and they apologize and you go are you really sorry you know is that are you actually genuinely sorry are you just sorry you got caught right and my five-year-old is exactly the same as those 50-year-old politicians are you really sorry that you hit your brother or are you sorry that you're having to go to timeout? And is that what's happening in Jonah 2? Is he just sorry that he's having to go to timeout in a fish? Or is he genuinely heart transformed? Or is it something in the middle? Right? Which, if we're honest, is so many of us sometimes with our repentance. Where we, we're kind of sorry and we are kind of grieved and yet what is really going on? Have we really got it? Has it really sunk itself all the way down? I think as we dive into Jonah 2, we're going to see kind of three things. We're going to see uh, a crying out. We're going to see a, a turning to remember. And we're going to see a work in progress. A crying out, a turning to remember, and a work in progress. Where have we come from? Uh, last week uh, we uh, spoke about how Jonah really is a book that as a genre kind of fits uh, an ancient Near Eastern kind of comic satire. That is, it's like... Um, a Simpsons episode or an episode of The Office or a movie perhaps like Mean Girls. That is, what satire does is it takes the things that we do in our society and shows them and displays them in such a way that you realise just how stupid and silly it is to be a cool mom. Some of you got that. Most of you, that clearly went over your heads. Or in the office, how foolish it is to be like Michael Scott, just always having to please everyone, never being able to kind of have anyone not like you. And so Jonah really is to be a mirror for us, to show us, to show Israel the worst kind of tendencies that kind of conform within God's covenant people, firstly Israel and us now, the church. And so God calls Jonah to be a prophet to the nations, similar that he has called Israel to be a prophet to the nations. And Jonah flees in the opposite direction. That's where we've come from. But God pursues Jonah, pursues him enough to wound him. Right? Pursues him enough to wound him. Uh, C.S. Lewis has this thing where he says, um, 
We say we want God to be Father, but we really don't. He says we want God to be a grandfather, not a father. Because C.S. Lewis says a grandfather just gives their grandchildren chocolates and lollies and whatever they say the grandfather does, right? Yeah, see, lots of nodding, yeah. But a father doesn't. A good father doesn't. A good father disciplines his children. And C.S. Lewis's point is this. We want, we say we want God to be father, but really we don't. We want him to be a grandfather because a real father, a real father does discipline in love and God loves Jonah enough to pursue him, to wound him even by the sending of a storm. And in the storm, Jonah, kind of in a hissy fit moment, I think, says, throw me overboard. Seeking to flee further so that he might not show God's enemies God's mercy. And as he sinks, verse 17, now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. Not that fast, Jonah. Not that fast. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And what's he doing in the belly of the fish? Exactly what you and I would be doing. Writing Hebrew poetry. (laughs) From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God and he cries out to God. We see a crying out. In my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From the realm of the dead, I called for help and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. What is he doing? He's yelling, he's crying out, he's pleading and pressing into God. And like so many of us here, it is only when we are brought to the very end of ourselves. It is in our lowest moments that we cling most tightly to God. That it is when life falls apart that really we learn the meaning of desperation. Desperation and we plead and we press and we cling and we pray and we cry out to God because we've got nothing left. Nowhere else to go. And this is what Jonah does. He has nothing left and so he calls out to God. I, um, I've been listening to this uh, podcast called The Overcomers by Matt Chandler and um, it is, fair warning, full on. This story is just interview kind of stories, uh, sitting on a couch with people who have just gone through some of uh, just terrible, just some of life's hardest things. Death of a child or a marriage breakup, a cancer diagnosis, you know, 
suicide ideation, right? Like some of life's most tragic kind of weighty things and it's just talking about that. And and one of the ones I was listening to was a, a young guy and he was sharing about his wrestle and his struggle and uh, his battle that, uh, that he will be wrestling with by all likelihood for the rest of his life. That unless, and unlike the unlikely case that God kind of does a miracle, this will be his battle every morning when he wakes up. And he shared about this artwork that he's ordered and designed, and and in the artwork it has the phrase, those who wrestle with God... To wrestle with God is to be near him. To wrestle with God is to be near him. And I know that is so many of our stories here. So many people in this church here, you're, you know, life has been hard and messy and full of tears and scars. And it is in those moments that you have pressed into the Lord. Uh, I once, um, let's see if I can get this working. Uh, I once um, heard a minister interviewed about um, why is it that God allows suffering? Why is it that God allows suffering? And I don't think this is always the answer. In fact, my experience is that when people have this question, more often than not, the best thing to do is just to listen and to, to support and to be a shoulder to cry on someone just to weep with. So this isn't always the answer, but the minister said, he said, look, after 40 years of being a minister, he said, I've never had someone walk through those doors just saying, Life has been going great. Everything's been the dream. Everything is just coming up Millhouse and we are loving life. And I just thought, you know what? Everything is easy at the moment and so we should just come and thank the one who's responsible for that. He said, never in 40 years has that happened. And yet time and time and time again, I have people coming in those doors whose marriages are falling apart, whose jobs they have lost and is now forfeit, whose children have gone wayward, who are struggling with a medical diagnosis, and it is in those lowest moments that they have cried out and pressed into God. And that is what we see in the first part of Jonah. He is brought to the end of himself. But it is not being at the bottom that seems to change him. Rather, it is praying at the bottom. It is crying out. It is pressing in. It is Wrestling with God to be near him. We see a crying out and we see then a turning to remember. Verse 4. I said, I have been banished from your sight. 
Yet I will look again towards your holy pe- holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surround me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. The roots of the mountains I sunk down. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Jonah remembers, and in ancient times, in Hebrew, remembering isn't just simply like in English, that is kind of mental recall, right? So you're sitting in maths and you go 2 plus 2 equals, what is it, what is it? That's right, five. It's not just mental recall. In Hebrew, it's in ancient times, remembering is actually far more like in the Lion King. Do you remember in the Lion King, Simba runs away, spoiler alert, because his father has died. What? I figure you've had like 30 years. Come on, guys. His father has died. And in shame, and so often as shame does, right, it drives us into isolation and escape, away from the reality of it. And in shame he runs away and forgets. Not mentally, he still remembers, like, the pride lands. He still remembers his father's name. But it is only when he is then confronted by his, it is only when he is confronted in that moment where he hears and sees his father's voice from heaven saying, remember, remember. You see, for Simba, it is not that he has forgotten his father's name, but rather he has forgotten who his father is, who he is, and that who his father is and who he is no longer drives and shapes who he is in the present. That is more than just mental recall. He says... I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your temple. As one Hebrew scholar puts it, for a Jewish man to remember means to participate here and now in a past event, saying this is the narrative. This story defines who I am. This story defines who I am. It means savouring what has happened to let it shape your heart and mind. That's what Jonah's doing, right? I turn my sight, I look again towards your holy temple. To the roots of the mountains I sunk down, the earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life from the pit. 
when my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord. And my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. What is it that he's remembering in the fish? The temple. And you go, why the temple? If I'm in a fish, I'm not thinking about Gosford Presbyterian Church. I'm on holiday. I'll take it as sick leave. Rather, he remembers the temple because the temple is representative for the Hebrew person, the temple is the place where God would meet with his people and it is the place where sacrifices were given so that mercy could be received. Those two things. So every time you walked into temple, every time you walked through those doors and you've got your lamb or your goat or your your calf, and you're walking in those doors, you're remembering, this is where I meet with God and he meets with me. And not just that, but this is the place where the sacrifice will be made so that I might receive mercy, so that my sin can be dealt with. Notice that Jonah doesn't just go, God, just forgive me. Just, you know, I know I ran the other way, but can you just sweep it on the carpet? Can you just let it go? Because it's at the temple that, that the Jewish man, and at the temple you would see sin is serious. At least that's what you were meant to see. Unfortunately, because, you know, we're broken, we're wicked, like, people are self-centered, it it, it gets distorted and shaped, and and people lose that kind of traction and confrontingness, right? But that's what it was meant to see. You're meant to stand there, and you're meant to see this animal, you're meant to see the blood shed because of what you had done, and realize that a life has been paid because of your sin, And that you, the sinner, receive mercy at the price of someone else's life. Something else's life. That blood flowed because of your sin. One of of my mates, a guy called Tom Batty, he um, is one of these guys which just is confrontingly masculine. Uh, my wife would say I've got a bit of a man crush on him, and she's right. He runs ultra marathons, so 100 plus Ks, right? And uh, he works at a place, or used to work at a place, where there were lots of deers, and deers were a, a pest. Um, and so one day he pulled his car over because he saw kind of on the paddock uh, a, a bunch of wild deers. And he decided to do, apparently, what's called endurance hunting. And so what he did is he hopped out of the car and he chased a deer until it could not run anymore. 
I get tired running for the bus. He chased this deer till it could not run anymore, tied it up, I kid you not, threw it over his shoulders and jogged it back down to, like he's gone through bushland, up this hill, everything, right? He jogs it back down, takes it to, to the lake, to the river, and he has a butcher friend who comes and shows him how to make the clean cuts. And he decides, I, I'm going to use this meat. And so he makes the clean cuts. Um, and he said in this moment that he makes the cuts and, and this deer's eyes are just looking at him. And it's kind of just struggling to breathe. And as it's struggling to breathe because blood is coming out, its eyes are just looking at him like, I'm glad it's school holiday, not school holidays. Kids aren't in here, right? They're in kids' church. And I'm sorry if this is confronting for you, but this is actually what it's meant to be. It's meant to be confronting, right? And he said, as he see, saw the kind of deer's eyes, it just did a number on him. Seeing this thing kind of struggling for life and the blood coming out because it couldn't live. And he said, he just, even to this day, remembers that moment and now he's more conscious of the meat that he eats and where the food and the meat that he eats and what it comes from and it's come from an animal he's given his life. But that confrontingness of this animal struggling for life and yet blood being shed because of your sin, that's what was meant to happen at the temple. That you see the price of mercy and the costliness of grace. And that's what Jonah turns to. That's what he remembers, seeks to remember. And yet he gets so close, but not all the way there. You see, verse 8, we see a work in progress. Those who cling to worthless idols... Turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. Sorry. Salvation comes from the Lord. It is God's to give. Jonah realises. Salvation is God's and God's alone to give. And yet, verse 8, he says, those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. It's not a great translation. The Hebrew is tricky to translate. Probably a better translation is this. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit God's grace. Well, they forsake God's mercy. And you see, you read this kind of in light of the book, and what's Jonah thinking of? He's, he's meant to be on a mission to Nineveh, to God's enemies, and he's kind of going, salvation is the Lord's, and I'll receive God's mercy, but those pagans, those heathens, those others who follow after God's idols... They have forfeited the grace and mercy of God. He is still 
thinking in terms of categories of me and them. So close and yet so far. Jonah, you have done nothing to deserve God's glory. And yet he deems them not worthy, inferior, or he would cry out for justice for them, but mercy for him. And yet, and yet God, verse 10, releases Jonah from the fish. Even though his repentance is kind of mixed and partial and a work in progress, God spits him out to life. Because there's work to be done. And, isn't this comforting, God only works with works in progress. Let's pray. Father, we we thank you for your mercy, your forgiveness, your patience, your pursuit of us despite us. We pray that you might so shape in us your character that as we interact and as we uh, go forth, as we kind of spit forth from the fish and as we go into the world, that we might reflect you and your character, your mercy, your grace, that we might reflect the God who shows mercy to his enemies and grace even to Jonah, even to us. Protect us and forgive us for the times where we are so quick to think of how we might receive mercy and yet be have some kind of superiority or self-righteousness that causes us to look down upon others. Confront and remove that in us, we pray. And we pray this for the glory of Jesus. Amen.